Welcome to Business Buzz with your host, Frank Hellring. Do you own a small business or does that small business own you? Are you seeking increased sales, more loyal customers, lower operation costs, and brand loyalty? If you're interested in elevating your brand and expanding your reach, then Business Buzz will put it all together for you with expert guests, resources that make sense, and your opportunity to be heard. Get ready to call in with your questions and comments at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Business Buzz is out to put the buzz back into your business. Here's your host, Frank Hellring. Hey, can you hear the buzz? Welcome. Wherever you may be, you have found Business Buzz. I'm your host, Frank Hellring, and we're coming to you live, prime time, on the Voice America Business Network channel. And today, we are going to be doing a show that is going to be what I term to be network quality. And that's the reason why I've got joining me today my incredibly fabulous co-host, Julie Muse, who's going to have her own show upcoming here in January 2023, which is going to be a business buzz, women's powered oriented show. Julie Muse, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Welcome again to the microphone with me as my co-host. Well, thank you so much, Frank, for that warm welcome. I'm so excited um, to be to be on this show today. Um, I'm not necessarily excited about the subject, but it is a subject that needs to get out there. It needs to um, people need to know about these things. So sometimes in life, you're not always talking about butterflies, rainbows, and um, and things of that nature. But I'm glad to be on today. Thank you so much, Frank. You know, Julie, it's the very reason why we pulled down the commercials and my advertisers today. This is going to be run start to finish like a network, like a 60 minutes. And just a real quick flashback. On the 2nd of September, we interviewed a live event with Whistleblowers of America in Pensacola, Florida. And during that event, we surfaced the guest that we have with us today, Mr. Bruce Sackman. But at the same point in time, the CEO of Whistleblowers of America was largely responsible for setting up this incredible panel where we met Bruce Sackman. So I have Jackie Garrick with me today on the show. She's the founder of Whistleblowers of America. Ms. Garrick is a policy and program expert with 30 years of service to the military veteran community. She was a politically appointee at the Pentagon for eight years, setting up personnel programs for wounded warriors and the Defense Suicide Prevention Office. She established a crisis hotline in Afghanistan and later investigated issues related to diversity and inclusion and No Fear Act violations. While working for the Defense Department, Ms. Garrick blew the whistle on fraud, waste, and abuse and suffered retaliation. Before that, she worked for the House Committee on Veteran Affairs, Disability Assistance, and Memorial Subcommittee, drafting legislation to assist disabled veterans and their families. Miss Garrick is a former Army social work officer. She has used her clinical knowledge to inform her advocacy and intervention work with the American Legion as the Deputy Director for Healthcare and then with the Veterans Disability Benefits Commission. She has several prestigious awards, including the Lincoln Award and a Secretary of Defense Medal for Exceptional Public Service. Miss Garrick has published books, several articles, has appeared worldwide as a health and resilience expert. She founded the FAR Group after 9-11 and continues to offer consulting services. Her MSW is from Temple University. Jackie Garrick, CEO of Whistleblowers of America. Welcome again to Business Buzz. Well, thank you. It's great to be back here again and to continue this conversation. I really appreciate that. Um, 
very inclusive introduction. I don't think my mom could have done a better job. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. So, <clears throat> so thank you for all of that. And I am a veteran. So I, I really wanted to start this session by talking about being a veteran, being the founder of Whistleblowers of America, because I think as we get into some of this um, details, I, I, I have a lot of faith in the VA system um, and work a lot with VA employees every day. So it was through that experience as the director of Whistleblowers of America and working with VA employees who truly want to see a better healthcare system for their patients. So we have doctors, nurses, social workers, um, contract managers all across the system who, in wanting things to be better, have brought the problems that they face and the challenges in their workplace forward. And it was in working with some VA police officers that they first introduced me to Behind the Murder Curtain that um, Bruce Ackman authored. And it was looking at that material and trying to understand where we have problems with accountability and transparency that I began to reach out to Congress. Um, Congressman um, Pappas, who is now the chair of the Oversight and Investigative Subcommittee for the House Veterans Affairs Committee, he had a number of hearings looking at this Office of Accountability and Whistleblower Protection, OAWP. Um, that's how I got introduced to him. And they wanted to hear what I knew from VA employees from all over the country who were bringing issues to Whistleblowers of America. So I testified for the first time in 2019, and then again in 2019, I think in 2021, and then most recently in 2022 about this legislation that I'm hoping we can talk about some more later. Um, but it was in that process that I met Bruce and we really started to look at this problem of accountability or the lack of accountability, the lack of transparency and how these problems can exist at the VA and how by um, uh, VA police officers reporting to medical center directors instead of directly to the Department of Justice, like other federal um, uh, law enforcement officers, there's this layer that they have to get through. And, and these cases don't make it past the medical center director who doesn't want the bad news, who doesn't want the bad publicity, who doesn't want eyes on his, his or her medical center. So these investigations don't happen in the way that they should. So that has been an ongoing issue. We have other proposals before Congress about how these investigations should be handled and the level of involvement that like the Department of Justice should have, that the union should have, VA police officers should have their own union, and they don't. So there's a lot of blocks to getting this kind of information out to the public. You know, Jackie, I always respect my sources, and you were the definite introducer that put me together with this incredible next guest, Mr. Bruce Sackman. Bruce Sackman served as a special agent in charge of the United States Department of Veteran Affairs, VA, Office of Inspector General, Criminal Investigations Division, Northeast Field Office until May of 2005, when he retired after 32 years service in this capacity. He was responsible for all major criminal investigations involving VA from West Virginia to Maine. During his tenure, he was involved in hundreds of investigations involving allegations of fraud, corruption, false claims, thefts, 
patient assaults, pharmaceutical drug diversions, and suspicious hospital deaths. Mr. Sackman has lectured at several forensic-related conferences, state police organizations, the Federal Law Enforcement Training Center, universities, and medical-related symposia. He is the co-author of the book, Behind the Murder Curtain. Special Agent Bruce Sackman hunts doctors and nurses who kill our veterans in the article, When the ICU Becomes a Crime Scene for Critical Care Nursing Quarterly. Mr. Sackman is recently retired, self-employed, licensed private investigator in New York City specializing in healthcare-related matters. Under contract, he had directed major investigations for a large New York metropolitan regional healthcare system. He served as the president of the Society of Professional Investigators in New York City from 2010 to 2019, and as a board member of the American Academy for Professional Law Enforcement. Bruce Sackman, welcome back to Business Buzz. So great to have you back with us today. Well, it's great to be back, and it's also great to share the stage, if you will, with my good friend Jackie Garrick, who has done so much to help America's heroes. I'm really honored to be on the stage with her. Outstanding. Bruce, take us back. You've been removed from this position since 2005. Right. And you and I had a very robust conversation and you told me, and even we made the comment in the first mm -hmm. show that you had like a smorgasbord, right? I, uh, mm -hmm. Of cases that you were engaged in when all of a sudden your world got interrupted. That's exactly right. So as the special agent in charge of the VA Office of Inspector General, um, I was responsible for all the major criminal investigations for all the VA hospitals outpatient clinics and regional offices from West Virginia to Maine. Now, hospitals are like small cities, as you could imagine, and they procure everything from diapers to the most complex scientific equipment. There's contract fraud, there's drug diversion, we have uh, patient record security. I could go on and on, theft of medical equipment. So I had, as, as you said, Frank, a tremendous smorgasbord of cases to pick and choose from. And I was working them all until one day, I got a call that actually changed my life. I got a call from the director of psychiatry at the Northport VA Medical Center out on Long Island. This the is back blower. in the 90s. And she said, hey, Bruce, you're not gonna believe this. There's a physician working here who actually spent time in prison for poisoning his coworkers. Ooh. And it took me a minute to just kind of digest that because I had never in my wildest dreams imagined that something like that could have actually have happened. You know? And lo and behold, she was right. At the Northport VA Medical Center, there was a Dr. Michael Swango, and Dr. Michael Swango, as the news stories eventually surfaced, had spent time in prison for poisoning his coworkers. Now, I didn't think in the United States of America, you could spend time in prison for poisoning your coworkers and come out and be a physician treating our nation's heroes. But I was wrong because that's exactly what happened. And that's what started me on this journey to investigate and study and teach about medical serial killers, particularly those that have existed in the VA medical system. So after I got this phone call, 
And I finally digested it. I said, I have to go meet this guy. So I hop in the car with one of my agents and we go out to Northport. And there's this handsome, young, articulate doctor named Michael Swango. And I tell you something, if you didn't know better and your daughter brought him home, you would say, fantastic. Look at this guy she brought home. He's a young, handsome doctor who works at the VA. Welcome to the family. Until you start looking into his background and looking into him personally. So how did this all happen? Well, Michael Swango, when he was in medical school, he was known as Double O Swango Licensed to Kill. This is by his fellow students in medical school, okay? Because it seems like every time some patients got a visit from Swango, something bad had actually happened to them. So the students went to the dean and they said, hey, dean, we don't think Swango should be a doctor. And the dean said, what do you know? You're only students. I'm the dean. I think he should be a doctor. He just needs a little bit more training, a little bit more education. So they keep him like another six months in medical school. And then he gets out and he goes to um, Ohio State University. And at Ohio State University Medical Center, people start dying unexpectedly, including this one young student at the university. Her name was Cynthia McGee. She gets in a car accident with another student. She's actually improving until she gets a visit from Swango, and then she expires unexpectedly. Well, the hospital does an investigation. They don't call the police. They don't call the authorities. They do their internal investigation, and they can't actually make a determination for sure that Swango killed these people. But they were happy not to renew his internship. And he went back to being what his one of his first loves was to be an emergency medical technician because he loved the excitement of pulling up maybe to an accident. And there were a number of injured people. And he got just really, really enjoyed the excitement of that. So one day his co-workers come in and he brings them a bunch of donuts. And he says, hey, guys and girls, you know, you work so hard here. Here's some donuts I brought you in as a just a little measure of appreciation. So they eat the donuts, they go home, and of course they all get very, very sick. And then Swango starts calling them all up, saying, Tell me the symptoms, tell me everything you have. You see, he's reliving now the excitement of the poisoning. The first time when he actually sprinkled the donuts with arsenic, the second time is hearing. How, the effects that he had on his co-workers. Well, these co-workers were not stupid, all right? About a week or two later, Swango comes in with iced tea. Hey, guys, I have some iced tea. He said, oh, okay, Michael, uh, just, just leave it here. We'll, we'll, we'll take it later. They have the iced tea tested. It's loaded with arsenic. They call the police. The police do an incredible investigation. And he winds up getting three years in jail for poisoning his coworkers. Now, how many people would actually believe that somebody with a background like that could come out and be a physician again anywhere, let alone treating our nation's heroes? But that's exactly what happened. And this is what happened. So he gets out of jail and he's 
he's very charming so he starts telling people that he was in jail for six months because he was an ex-marine and he got in a barroom brawl he's a tough ex-marine and he got six months in jail but here's a piece of paper that says the governor of the state restored my civil rights okay come on in we have a shortage of doctors come on in and he winds up actually going to a, a VA hospital and he's doing pretty well until the news story comes out. Now, at this time, he meets a VA nurse, they get engaged and everything seems to be fine. But once the news story comes out that he spent time in prison for poisoning his coworkers, things did not go that well. Well, obviously the hospital got rid of him, but the fiance, the fiance, her name was Kristen Kenny. Uh, she goes back to mom and dad in Virginia. And she says, you know, mom and dad, I really love this guy, Michael Swango. For some reason, when I was living with him, I kept getting these headaches. And I don't, I don't know what it was. I was kept getting these headaches, but I feel better now. And things are going well for her back in Virginia until all of a sudden the doorbell rings. And who shows up but that handsome, charming Michael Swango. And he charms his way back into her life. And next thing you know, everything starts going downhill. And she gets so upset about everything that has happened that one day she takes a gun, she goes to the park, and she blows her brains out. Well, you can't blame Swango for that, can you? It was a suicide. Well, actually, you can. Because even though the family had her body cremated, they kept some of her hair. And we had the hair tested, and it was loaded with arsenic. So Dr. Swango was even poisoning his own fiance. Well, to make a long story short, that's when he winds up in my neighborhood next, out on Long Island at the Northport VA Medical Center. And how did he get there? He went for a residency at Stony Brook University Medical Center, which has a teaching arrangement with the VA. And he was going for a residency and you would never guess in what field, in psychiatry. So that meant he had to go in front of a board of trained psychiatrists and convince them that his barroom brawl story and everything was true, which he did, which he did. And then the next thing you know, he winds up at the VA. So here all of a sudden I'm in his room and I'm talking with him and he's giving me the same barroom brawl story and all of that. And I go, oh, that's, that's really terrific, doctor. You know, I really appreciate you telling me. And I said, you know, I'm just curious. You mind if I look around your room a little bit? And that's when his attitude changed, had us leave. And the next thing you know, he winds up in Zimbabwe, Africa. Just packs up and goes to Zimbabwe, Africa, because in Zimbabwe, Africa, he killed women and children and pregnant women. But he had to come back to the United States to renew his passport. And that's when we arrested him, but not for murder, because we didn't have any evidence that he actually murdered anybody at the VA. We arrested him for what is every federal agent's favorite crime, lying to the government. If you lie on an application, if you lie to an agent, that's a violation of federal law, U.S. Code 1001, one of our favorite laws that we use all the time. And he got three years in jail for lying to me, which I felt really good about, but has nothing to do with the murder. So 
that gave us a three-year window to try to determine if, in fact, he had murdered any of our nation's heroes at the Northport VA Medical Center. So how do we do this? With my huge smorgasbord of cases that we talked about, I had never done a homicide case. An issue like this had never surfaced in all the years that I had been at the VA. So my boss said, hey, don't worry, Bruce. We're going to hook you up and we're going to get you some help. So they hooked me up with this forensic pathologist named Dr. Michael Bodden. You know, he's been on the news a lot. He used to have a show um, called Autopsy. And he was just terrific. And I said, well, how are we going to do this? How are we going to show if he killed any of our veterans? He said, well, this is what we're going to do. We're going to assemble a team. And this is who's going to be on the team. Michael Bonin, of course, is the forensic pathologist. Then we have to have a toxicologist. And by the way, the FBI did not want to use their lab for this work. So we had to go and spend a lot of money and go to a private lab to actually do the toxicology. Then we're gonna have a VA physician who's trained uh, in chart reviews. And he's gonna look at the chart and try to make a determination if that patient expired uh, when he should have. In other words, was death totally unexpected or based on the medical history was death ex expected? And that narrowed it down to about six. And also on this team, at that time was a relatively new profession. Now they've been around for about 30 years called forensic nurses. These are nurses who are trained in both forensic science and nursing. And they were incredible because they understand uh, the forensics. They understand the medicine. So when the doctors speak, the nurses were able to sort of dumb it down for me and <laughs> some of the investigators who did not have this background. So we narrowed it down to six cases. Well, what do we do next? You know, the next thing we do is we have to get a court order and we have to exhume bodies and we have to go to the cemetery and we have to actually exhume the bodies. And so I had never so done wait, anything just, like Wait that. just a second there, Bruce. So you're telling me that um, <clears throat> not only does the family have to deal with the unfortunate death, of a loved one, but they then have to sit there and watch their family member be exhumed from the grave? Well, they don't have to watch. Um, or, or know that that process has taken place. It's still- Well, this is how the process worked, okay? So mm -hmm. one of my agents or I would ring the doorbell and say, you know, hi, uh, my name is Bruce Sackman. I'm with the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, Office of Inspector General. We have reason to believe that your dad's death may be of a suspicious nature. Mm. Can we have your permission to go to the cemetery and exhume his body and run some tests? Now, imagine getting a visit like that. I mean, that yeah. was incredible. I tell you, the families were fantastic. The families were really great. Sometimes, in my cases, the family would actually want to be there. They'd actually want to see the process. You know, sometimes like the daughter of a veteran or, or somebody would show up and my agents would bring them flowers. We were very, very respectful. And we promised them that we'd be very careful with the body and particularly returning the body down back into the grave. So I find myself at a cemetery, sometimes with the family, sometimes not, and a backhoe. And we're pulling up the coffin from the ground 
and they take the body over to the Suffolk County Medical Examiner's office. And it's a real cultural experience if you've never been in a morgue before mm. and see anything like this. But when it's interesting, I'm working with Dr. Bond and he takes out a heart of one of these veterans and he says, you see this heart, Bruce? There's nothing wrong with this heart. You know, this death certificate that says myocardial infarction or some kind of heart-related ailment is bull. That's not what happened here at all. All right. So something happened that caused their death. And the question is, what actually caused it? And that's when we had to turn to this private lab. Uh, it's called the, the Reader's Lab in Pennsylvania. And I said, are you going to be able to find traces of some poisons in these embalmed tissues? And they said, yes, we have this brand new machine. It's called the High Performance Liquid Chromatography Tandem Mass Spectrometer. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> that was my reaction. What? <laughs> How do you spell that, Bruce? <laughs> he said, look, Bruce, you couldn't understand and you wouldn't understand, but it works. And they came back after a while after testing all these samples. And they said, yeah, there are two drugs in their bodies that should not be there. There's no prescription for them and there's no medical reason for be there. The first one is epinephrine, which is adrenaline, which could be used to speed up your heart. The second one is succinylcholine, which is a paralytic. If they want to put a tube down you, it actually paralyzes you. Ooh. So now we had now we had the murder weapon, and we had a, a number of veterans that we thought were victims of this. Well, Swangle, well, hey Bruce, right there, like when you're when you're sitting there, like to me, that would have almost been like a bomb dropping. Like this was put in your lap to deal with, right? Yeah. Where you've got to figure this out. You've went through all of these emotional things with the family. Um, you you get the results from this test. Did did it surprise you? Did you already know it? Like, what was that feeling, or what what were your mind whenever you saw these results? Because when you're telling the story to me. It literally blows my mind. Like I couldn't even imagine someone would be so evil. Well, you know, it didn't really uh, surprise me, given his history, that there was something, some substance in those bodies that shouldn't have been. So that part didn't really, really surprise me. Um, to me, it was a big learning curve on the different drugs that were available at the hospital and what could have been used to harm these people. So then Swango getting out of jail and he thinks he's going to hop on a plane and go back to Africa and keep killing people. Well, not so fast, not so fast, because we actually indicted him at that point in time for murdering a number of our nation's heroes at the Northport VA Medical Center. And at the same time, we got very lucky because at the same time, the United States had entered into an extradition treaty with the government of Zimbabwe. And the government of Zimbabwe was dying to get their hands on Michael Swango because, like I say, he killed a number of patients there, including women and pregnant women and all that. First, let me ask so, you a question. By the yeah. time you ended up catching up to this guy, prosecuting him, jailing him, right? Because yeah. I think it's important to, to say to the audience right now, especially probably veteran families out there who probably got a lot of questions going through their head right now, who, what, where, when, how, you know, uh, where, you know, where, how many guys had this guy murdered? 
Well, that's, <laughs> you know, I, you know why I laugh? Because in the world of medical serial killers, whether it be in the VA or anywhere in the world, they often kill so many people, they can't even remember themselves how many people they kill. Mm. Oh, wow. You know, I mean, we've, we've thought about maybe around the world, maybe 60, you know, but like I say, in many of these cases where they kill so many people, there are medical serial killers who have killed hundreds of people. Even when they want to cooperate or talk about it, they can't even remember how many people that they killed. And the big difference between the medical serial killers and your traditional serial killers, that traditional serial killers, well, maybe they kill seven or eight people. But they're actually amateurs compared to my medical serial killers who have killed 30, 60, 100, 150. Mm. And there are many of these cases outside of the VA that are still going on right now, even as we speak. One of the things we have to get out right now, Bruce, is that we actually created a landing page for this show, special for this show, not only just to get this message out, but continual. And you need to go to veteran. That's word veteran, D-E-T-E-R-A-N, murders. That's plural, M-U-R-D-E-R-S dot com, veteranmurders.com. And there is a landing page. You will be able to share your story if you have one with Bruce or Jackie or myself or Julie or the entire world for that matter. If you're a veteran out there or you are a family member of a veteran that possibly has experienced what we're talking about on this show, you need to go to veteranmurders, plural, Dot com. There is a function there right underneath the logo. Looks like three, you know, kind of anemic pancakes. Hit that and you'll be able to create an account because we're definitely going to scrub this. We're not out here for fake news. We are out here to make sure that the story gets told correctly. So you will create a, an account and we will scrub that and make sure that you're for real. Okay. Listen, we are just absolutely flabbergasted, Bruce, with what you're saying. And one of the things that you and I talked about before we got on the show is that these cases are now becoming real, pertinent, and right now, current, right? Absolutely. And I think one of the good things to come out from the Swango case is that the world of medical credentialing improved dramatically. All right. So two good things to come out of that case is, again, now when physicians want to become part of a hospital system... They are thoroughly, thoroughly investigated because no one wants to have another swango. That's for sure. And because a, a number of other books and stories, and there's one right now on Netflix right now ongoing about medical serial killers. So there's been a lot of education out there. I've spent the last 20 years trying to educate people on this myself. And I think that's one of the reasons why there are so many cases ongoing right now as we speak, because people are much more aware of this. But the history of medical serial killers at the VA actually goes back to 1975, as, as far as I know, where there were two nurses from the Philippines that were actually uh, accused of, that was in Ann Harbor, in Ann Harbor, Michigan, of spiking IV bags with pavulon. All right. They were actually convicted of that. And then their conviction got overturned because another nurse admitted that she was actually the killer. But anyway, you look at it, that's the first VA case that mm -hmm. I'm aware of. The next one, in, go up to about 1987, there's a fellow by the name of Donald Harvey. By his own count, 
he killed about 87 patients, um, not all at the VA, but certainly a number of them at the VA. And he would either suffocate them with a pillow or use arsenic or cyanide or insulin, which seems to be a very big one nowadays. And then we could jump forward to about 1992, where uh, there was a nurse at the Harry S. Truman Medical Center in Columbia, Missouri, who suspected of killing about 60 of our nation's heroes. He was actually indicted, but the charges were dropped because the prosecutor was not confident about the science on that case. And then you course, it's, it's interesting, but I just got a high sign from an engineer. We had a veteran that broke through into the network and wants to talk to you. Hey, Patrick, how you doing? United States <laughs> Army veteran of service to the nation. I'm doing well. Well, my biggest question is, why hasn't there been more press about this? Why hasn't there been more major media press about this? I mean, the fact that you could, you could get veteranmurders.com as a website mm-hmm. is a pretty strong testament that nobody's talking about this. Because <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I mean, I've been, I was in the Army for several years. I was, I've spent time in the VA. I've got friends who have and have given their life for their country. And the fact that this is happening and it's not on every news channel and every late night, sh- I mean, why aren't more people talking about this? Well, I'll give you I'll give you my opinion. You know, first of all, I, I just I want to preface the rest of my remarks by saying that the overwhelming majority of VA employees are honest, hardworking, dedicated people who have taken an oath to save lives. In fact, many of them are actually veterans themselves. And look, in my job, I got to meet all the bad employees, but I got to meet them because all the good employees <laughs> helped me catch them. Without all those good, dedicated employees helping me catch them, including these stories, all these murders, we would have never known about it, ever, if it wasn't for those honest, hardworking, dedicated employees. But look, if, if, if you're in management at any level, do you want the word to get out that you have somebody in your staff that's intentionally murdering patients? I mean, that's the last thing you would ever want. You know, we've had whistleblowers, particularly in one case, this Kristen Gilbert case, where whistleblower, if it wasn't for them, we would have never, ever known that she was murdering our nation's heroes, a VA nurse, right? And after the trial, and she returned back to her job, not only the management, but some of her co-workers. They didn't praise her for being that whistleblower. Just the opposite. Just the opposite. They said, what did you do to our hospital? Why did you have to call the inspector general? Do you know what happens now when people drive by our hospital? They don't think about all the lives we save, all the wonderful things. All they think about is the fact that we had a medical serial killer here who murdered our veterans. So thanks a lot for what you did. You know, we're lucky we, we still have our jobs, thanks to you, Miss Whistleblower. So well, it, and I, go ahead. No, I, so, I mean, that's why we started Whistleblowers of America, because of that need for the peer support, because of the retaliation. The retaliation is the facilitator of the cover-up purpose of it is to silence the whistleblower who's trying to actually save the patient, save the VA or any system really. But it's the the gaslighting, the mobbing, the marginalizing, the devaluing 
the shunning, the double binding, the counter accusing, the bullying that they deal with, that one, you know, will either turn them into bystanders so that they don't say anything and worse causes them to have to leave the profession. And that's what I worry about with my VA police officers now is that we've got them and I probably have a dozen VA police officers that I have active conversations with crisscrosses the country. There's no hospital immune to this if you're not listening to your whistleblowers because it does cover up the wrongdoing and it does allow this to continue. And I am grateful that um, there are members of Congress and the Senate that have listened to these stories and are willing to do something about it. We also have to remember that the that the worst of this is the murders, but there is all kind the drug diversion and some of these other crimes against patients, the theft, the um, fraud committed against the government goes goes uh, as deep as some of these murders. And we have to have systems that are more accountable and more transparent if we really want to get to the root cause of some of these problems. You know, Jackie, so, it's interesting, this veteran just called in. I'm so glad he did. And thanks for calling in, Patrick. Uh, believe me, what we're doing here today is hopefully going to help answer your question as to why the media hasn't really hit this. But, you know, the question he said, you know, why hasn't the media done it or, or more on this, Bruce, right? Normally, when I share your story with people, I get this, what? You know, I mean, like, what? what? You know, and then the next one is, how could this happen in America? And then the next one is, What's being done about it? But, and I think that's where some of the legislation really makes a difference, too. I mean, we do have um, Congress that is trying to take action about holding accountable the VA for how it does some of these investigations. For too long, uh, these systems have been allowed to investigate themselves. So, you know, the proverbial fox guarding the house. We have to get the fox out of the hen house and protect the system a lot better than we do. And that's why we need the Department of Justice to have more oversight. We need to take the investigations out of the OAWP, um, the Office of Accountability and Whistleblower Protection, move it over to the Office of Special Counsel. Because, you know, federal employees, or maybe maybe most people don't realize this, federal employees have their own system. They don't get to go to court. They don't get to bring these cases to the public. One of the reasons, I think, to answer the question um, why doesn't the news know more about this is because federal employees get sidelined and we don't get to bring our cases to the forefront. Um, and it's very hard to then get these OIG investigate and they take a long time. Bruce didn't do this overnight. It took years to get to the bottom of some of these cases. Um, so politics change, reporters change. We don't get to keep that consistency. So the interest waxes and wanes. And when that goes away, so does the accountability and the transparency to these cases. You know, I agree with you on that, Jackie. And in fact, I, I wrestled with this. And in fact, in, in Bruce's book, I kept saying to myself, what motivation, Frank, There's do you have to bring this onto a business, a small business oriented show and put it at network level? And you know what I came up with, Bruce, was on page 29, page 29, <laughs> where you wrote the following. You said, my work was investigating crimes against veterans. I was proud to be their guardian. That was the first word that jumped off the page at me. And it said, I knew as I put my can of Simonize away, 
Mm -hmm. I used to use that when I was a kid mm -hmm. to do waxing too, by the way. I would never be comfortable with the idea that a doctor was preying on these guys on my watch while I was being prevented from doing something about it. Well, I was not going to let that happen. And when I asked you, Bruce, whether or not major media had put you in front of a mic and you told me no, that's the major motivation of the reason why we're doing the show today. You know, the other side of this coin is, and Julie, I want you to you know, jump in here as this as well, because I think it's important from a female standpoint of view. Both men and women pick up a weapon and go to war in this country today. Yes. So when someone loses a loved one, they could have lost a wife, could have lost a husband, could have lost a mother, could have lost a father, could have lost a niece, a nephew, a, a child. Okay. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. Like I love, you know, Frank, like Jackie with what you're doing with the whistleblowers um, and people at that level. But like as a, a, a mother, as a daughter, um, what I want to know is if, if, if I'm in the position where I feel like something like this has happened to my family, unfortunately, whether they went to the VA or not, and and obviously the VA does such great work. What do you do when you suspect something like this happens? I mean, not to mention just out of the blue, <clears throat> someone may go in for like a routine thing, right? And all of a sudden they pass away. And I don't know. I mean, for me, it's different if it's expected than it's not expected. As a family member, like I'm, I'm, we're blessed that we have somebody like Jackie that set up this organization for whistleblowers. But what does the family do in this situation when it's their son, it's their daughter, it's their their dad? I mean, what what am I? What what's the best route to take in that scenario? Because you want to have, you know, the, you want to understand what happened, why, and then it doesn't happen again. Yeah, well, depending on, on where it happened, but um, usually the families will wind up getting an attorney and looking at it from some sort of malpractice uh, viewpoint, or they might contact some state agencies or maybe even the IGs. But I must tell you that my cases did not surface as a result of the families because the families had no idea, well, they no don't know. idea yeah. whatsoever that an employee of the VA was actually murdering them. They really had no idea, you know, although there are situations and you know what? Natural death has sort of been described to me this way. You know, natural death is like you turn off a fan and the blades gradually, gradually slow mm -hmm. down. But these people expired like turning off a light bulb. They're bright one minute and dark the next. If you ever had a loved one in the family and you knew they were, you know, they were near death, the staff knew they were near death, death wasn't a total shock. In these cases, usually the first sign is that deaths were totally unexpected. But again, we found out about it all through the employees, the brave employees who usually got poo-pooed by management because something like this. Let's, let's say, for instance, Julie, you're a nurse. Mm -hmm. And you, you suspect Nurse Bruce over here of maybe intentionally harming patients. So you go to the management. Oh, that's going to go over real big. I want to ask you a question <laughs> there, Nurse Julie. Did you actually see Nurse Bruce kill anybody? Well, I didn't see Nurse Bruce kill anybody. But it seems like every time Nurse Bruce is on duty, the death rate goes up. 
Nurse Ruth Ruth takes a week vacation, the death rate goes down. Okay, well, nurse, maybe he has the most difficult cases. Maybe there's a scientific reason, some other reason for this. But what are you saying? That one of our employees here is actually intentionally murdering anybody? You, You know what would happen if that got out? I tell you think I was crazy and I would lose all my good hours. I would be working in the the wrong, I'd be working in the wrong, you know, for what I've probably built my entire career over. Um, I probably would just lose immediately. Right. And and I'll tell you something, nurse. There was a hospital in New Jersey where one doctor was murdering not his patients, but the patients of another doctor because he wanted to put that doctor out of business. Well, it went to trial and everybody in New Jersey knew about it. And you know what happened to that hospital nurse? Everybody lost their job. The hospital changed their name three times and they went out of business. Do you want that to happen at a hospital here? Well, no, because you're fa- like, like, you know, when you go to work or you're a nurse and you're, when you're, a, I'm, anyway. I'm, assuming I'm not a nurse, but there's so many emotional things going on with your job. I'm sure your coworkers, it's some, like some sort of family. So when you make a decision to do something like that, like what you're talking about, it's not only affecting you as the individual, but all the other people you care about there. And it's like, is it worth it, right? And well, here's what I want to know, Bruce. So we're talking about deaths, right? About which blows my mind that this even happens. But I wonder how many people are have long-term terminal effects to what has been done to them where they actually like didn't die. Um, and there are, there are some, there have been some victims Um of attempted murders and a number of people have actually been charged with attempted murders um when i give my my presentation i show two videos the first video is a uh, a patient at ohio state university who says this blonde hair blue-eyed doctor came in to visit me injected me with something and waved bye-bye and she almost died but the staff saved her the next video is a patient in zimbabwe africa and he says, this blonde hair, blue eyed doctor came in my room, injected me with something and waved bye bye. In both those cases, do you think that the staff actually believed the patient that this no. doctor was intentionally trying to kill them? Well, of course not. Because, you know, one of the things, there is something called hospital delirium. What hospital delirium is, is that you could be under the effects of multiple medication and you start to hallucinate. You start to think you're in a dungeon somewhere, you're being tortured. So if the patients say, oh, that Dr. Swango was trying to kill me, oh, we don't pay any attention to that. It's obviously what hospital delirium. And we'll just make a little note in the patient's chart that he or she is suffering from hospital delirium. That's one of the things that makes a hospital such a potential potential killing ground one of the things i wanted we got about 10 minutes to go on the show guys and whatnot i wanted to make a a special notation of the fact that we in fact did send out an email communications blast to all the state agencies governor's offices in the united states of america the reason being as you well know bruce they have governance authority over veterans uh facilities within the state confines you know that they are governor over so we wanted to take it to that level uh, obviously and get them aware of the show 
The playback of the show will be up about four hours after we end the uh, live copy and whatnot. And we're definitely going to be sending that out to the governor's offices and also posting it to veteran, V-E-T-E-R-A-N, murders, M-U-R-D-E-R-S dot com. That's where you need to go. That is the landing page that we specifically created for this show to give you more information and, and also give you the opportunity. If you've got a story, if you've got feedback, if you want questions answered of our incredible guests here today, that's where you need to go. Veteran, V-E-T-E-R-A-N, murders, M-U-R-D-E-R-S dot com. Also, shout out and thanks to Lon Gibby of GibbyMedia.com. He is the official media liaison. So if you are media out there right now, you're listening to this show, you need to go to Gibby, G-I-B-B-Y, media.com and get in touch with Lon Gibby, CEO, because he is the media liaison on this particular program. Well, Bruce, you know, before we get off this copy, and believe me, I think we got to hit it again, all right? <laughs> Without a doubt, there's not enough content here for sure. Let me ask you a question. Really, let's try to answer that question. I don't think from what I've heard today that we can solve this from the bottom up. I don't think bureaucracy is the solution here. And the reason being is because you got a lot of job security involved, right? You got a lot of what I concern to be jeepers creepers. We think we're worried about what's coming across the border. I'm worried about coming through the door of veterans hospitals and professional circles, right? As far as background checks. But let me ask you a question. What do you think we have to do? And Jackie, you can chime in on this because you've been in those congressional halls of decision. What can we do to get some top-down action going on this? Well, I, I, I see a sort of like a three-pronged approach. I guess the first one, of course, is education. You know, it's very important to educate the staff that things like this happen. In fact, things like this are happening right now as we speak in about six different cases in the United States alone. So people have to be aware that this is happening. When I give these presentations to the medical people, inevitably, at the end of the presentation, somebody will come up to me and they'll say, you know, Bruce, we had this nurse that was working here and we kind of suspected something, but we were afraid to say something and then that nurse moved on. Well, that's terrible. That is terrible. So really education is the thing. The next thing, which Jackie, bless her heart, has been working so hard on is protecting the whistleblowers. Okay, because there are some VA cases, not only the case in Northampton, but also in the case in, in, in Columbus, Missouri, where the whistleblowers got a hell of a hard time from management. All right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, they were so brave to fight management. But how many people really have that that kind of courage? So we have to make sure we protect our whistleblowers and we have to make sure that we educate people. And finally, we have to make sure that the medical credentialing, that the doctors and nurses and staff that we bring on is as thorough as possible and also pass laws, as we have in, in Jersey and some states now, that if Hospital A suspects something, they won't be sued for mentioning it to Hospital B, all mm -hmm. right? They won't be sued for mentioning it to Hospital C. I think if we could do those three things, I think it will come a long way to stopping this. Outstanding. Jackie, you got a minute. Basically, what do you think we could do congressionally on this site? And also give your contact information, please. Okay. Yeah. So I think writing to your representative about whistleblower protections to improve 
these systems is important. I think we need to improve how VA police and the OIG and OSC, how all these entities work together. Um, whistleblowersofamerica.org is our website. You can go to there and um, support us. We have a donate page. And I think that understanding the toxic tactics of retaliation and how harmful that is, that's what needs to end. We need to embrace the whistleblower and make this an acceptable form of transparency and accountability. Outstanding. And that's whistleblowersofamerica.org, right? Correct. That's how you get in touch with Jackie. Julie, we got about a minute for you. Give your contact information, how people get in touch with you. You've got an incredible show coming up in January. It's going to be all about empowering women, right? And men. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, first off, I would like to say, um, because this hasn't been said yet, but Bruce is is taking this on his back without financial gain um, because he cares about America. That is very important to know that that's not a financial gain for him. He is doing this for us and the betterment of our country, as well as Miss Jackie. So I uh, I thank you as a fellow American. I think it's very important um, that we give out that website again that was built so that this word can be built out um, more. It can get out to the public. So the things that they are wanting to do are well known. Um, if you want to reach me, um, you can always find me on social media at Julie Muse um, or email me at Julie at partnerdriven.com. But um, thank you guys for, for being on. Thank you for letting me know what's actually going on. It blows my mind. Um, thank you. And also, you veterans out there. Bruce has only sold 3,000 books. As a matter of fact, Jackie, I think, sold more books than anybody. And let me tell you something right now. You need to go to that veteran, veteran, V-E-T-E-R-N, murders, M-U-R-D-E-R-S, dot com, because his book is right there. All you got to do is click on the book, take it right to the Amazon site, and you can get all the knowledge that you need to know about what Bruce Sackman is and who he is, and more importantly, his incredible service to this country. Bruce, thank you so much for being with me today. Believe me, we're going to hit this again. And I'll tell you why. Because General Flynn was able to get the show description in front of him. He wasn't be able to be with us on the show today. But I'm planning on bringing him back to get the military side of this right. Military look side of this of how he feels. Jackie, thank you so much. Whistleblowers of America, what an amazing work that you do. One of these days, you and I are going to be on the same ground in D.C. I just feel that. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank I'll you so back. much, Julie. <laughs> and thank you. My listening audience, for tuning in to Business Buzz today, if you'd like to be a guest or you have a business that needs to elevate your brand and expand your reach, you can reach us toll-free, 877-3-N-O-W-B-U-Z, or go to my live landing page, B-I-Z-Z-B-U-Z-Z.Live. Well, the buzz factor of your business is what we seek to increase week in, week out. Tune in next week as we bring more guests and resources to make your business buzz. Thanks for tuning in Business Watch and Business Buzz with Frank Hellring. We'll be back next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to have you join us again next time for some more terrific ways to revitalize your small business.